When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and hypergig for details. Too Much Information is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Too Much Information, the show that brings you the secret histories and little-known fascinating facts and figures behind your favorite movies, music, TV shows, and more. We are your two divas of diversion, here to whistle register melisma our way into your yuletide hearts and minds. That's an all-timer. I'm Alex Heigl. And I'm Jordan Runtuck. And Jordan, today we are continuing our holiday programming by talking about the evil twin to the Monster Mash, a Christmas <laughs> song that, while a relative newcomer to the canon, rises every year from its seasonal grave to dominate the last two months of the pop charts. That's right. We're talking about Mariah Carey's deathless anthem, All I Want for Christmas is You. My aversion to roughly 90% of all Christmas music is well documented, and I'm also not the world's biggest Mariah Carey fan, but... Before the pitchforks come out, I don't dislike her stuff. I just don't really vibe with it. And I've endured far too many terrible coffee shop and garage rock covers of this song to truly, you know, deeply love it. But I can stand aside and admire, as Ian Holm famously says of the titular alien in Ridley Scott's 1979 magnum opus, I admire its purity. (laughs) It is a perfect pop song. Yes, it is. And I never want to hear it again in my life. No, it's so good. It's a great, it's a perfect, well, it's perfect. Perfect pop song. There, you happy? Mariah Carey stands. Don't come at me. It is a perfect pop song that I have heard a, a great number of times in my life. Jordan, you? I mean, there truly are two <laughs> kinds of people in this world. Those who never want to hear that song again and those who can't hear it enough and i'm in the mm. latter category i absolutely love it i played all year round when i was uh when i was in high school i used to drive around <laughs> listening to it in the summer at high volumes because it made me so happy uh i mean it's an updated version of my beloved 60s wall of sound stuff i mean yeah. it's tied for my favorite christmas stuff with uh the ronnie specter phil specter christmas album and actually Wonderful Christmas time gets passed too we should have done a wonderful christmas time damn it i would rather eat a bullet really yeah, I f***ing hate that song mm-hmm. so much. Happy Christmas War is Over is also grating, but better. There are two kinds of people in this world. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful Christmas time people and Happy Christmas War is Over people. And that yep, makes yep, a lot of sense yep. that where we both fall on that. <laughs> Jordan, tell us about your history with this song, specifically your musical history with it. Oh, and yeah. your romantic history, which are often intertwined. Very much always intertwined, yes. Uh, once in high school, prior to Love Actually coming out, I might add, I transcribed this entire piece of music uh, by ear to try to get our high school jazz band to play it in some drastically misguided attempt to win back one of the many girls who broke my heart. Uh, <laughs> didn't work. Uh, mostly because the band director wouldn't go along with it, which in the <gasps> end probably worked in my favor. Probably he's doing me a favor. But uh, I got over my heartbreak by learning the ins and outs 
of this masterpiece. Uh, and it is a masterpiece. That's all I can say about it. It is a perfect song. I, mean, I love how those elaborate backing vocals that almost become mm-hmm. the lead. And uh, it's so perfect. Oh, my God. I can't wait to talk more about this. <laughs> well, from the traumatizing circumstances of Carrie's life that contextualized the song to the still raging battle over its songwriting credits to the other queen of Christmas battling Carrie for the crown. Here's everything you didn't know about All I Want for Christmas is You. In 1994, Mariah Carey was decidedly not at a crossroads. (laughs) She was one of the richest entertainers of the world. Uh, Carey endured a rough childhood in Huntington, New York, where racist neighbors poisoned the Carey family dog and set fire to their car because her parents, Patricia and Alfred Roy Carey, were an interracial couple. God, that's up there with another uh, traumatic story from a beloved Christmas crooning icon, that King Cole, when he moved into a uh, some very high-end neighborhood in Los Angeles. I forget what it was exactly. The neighbors all got together and came to his door and said, I think they're like literally all standing on his lawn. In my head, they all have pitchforks. I don't think they did. Uh, <laughs> and said, you know, we don't want any undesirables in this neighborhood. And he said, well, if I see any, I'll let you know. And um, <laughs> somebody, I think it was at the same house in the same neighborhood, left a burning cross on that King Cole's front yard. Jesus so, Christ. Uh, think of that next time you hear a Christmas song. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah, I, I mean, Patricia's family disowned her over the marriage. Uh, right, Carrie's mom? Yeah. Wow. And Carrie remembers being bullied about it in school. Little racist Long Island uh, school people would hurl slurs at her what did she oh yeah it was like a big sticking point for her early in her career when people would be like just another white girl trying to sing black she was like people burned my family's car (laughs) anyway her folks split up when she was three years old and she didn't see much of her dad uh her mom worked several jobs to support the family which meant that carrie spent a lot of her time alone uh money was obviously scarce she once received a wrapped up orange from her mother for Christmas, just so that she would have something to open. Uh, Mariah Carey has talked about Christmases at her house being rough. Uh, she said, I always wanted Christmas to be perfect, and I always looked forward to the holidays. And then I had this incredibly dysfunctional family that would ruin it every year. Not my mom. My mom would try to make it fun, but we didn't have a lot of money. So sometimes she would wrap up fruit and whatever it was that she could afford. And I was like, when I grow up, I'm never going to let that happen. I'm going to make Christmas perfect every year. Which is, keep keep that in mind as we continue yeah. through this story. She began singing at the age of three and would imitate the Verdi arias that her mother, who studied opera at Juilliard, would sing at home. But Carrie had a complicated relationship with Patricia. In her memoir, she describes nearly drowning at a beach when she was seven, with her mom almost completely failing to notice. Uh, she also recounts a time when her mother screamed at her, You should only hope that one day you become half the singer I am after they were singing together during a car ride. (laughs) Is she close to her still? Like, do do they have any kind of relationship? I don't uh, know. You know, again, not to like make all the Carrie people like come at me because they will. But um, she's a bit of an unreliable narrator. And I think when this memoir came out that people like took it all as the gospel truth. And I don't know how much of it is actually accurate, but I think she's somewhat mended their relationship that's good carrie started working as a demo singer while in high school and eventually moved to manhattan where she trained as an esthetician and lived in a one-bedroom apartment between two to four roommates sleeping accounts vary yes but either way (laughs) it sounds rough sleeping on a mattress on the floor and the next chapter of Mariah Carey's origin story is uh, about as well trods as Batman, you write at this point. And that's true. Uh, she was doing background vocals for a singer named Brenda K. Starr, and she went with her to a party in December 1988 and managed to slip her demo tape to the head of Columbia Records, Tommy Matola. Big Mato- Tommy Mott. But Yeah. <laughs> God. Um, <laughs> I can be mean to him. I'm Italian, and he was a and big he was jerk. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Matola listened to this demo tape in his limo on the ride home and immediately headed back to the party, Cinderella style, but 
missed Carrie, and spent the next two weeks looking for her before engaging in a bidding war with another label for her and eventually signing her. Carrie's self-titled debut album came out in 1990 when she was 21 years old. It spent 11 weeks at number one, spawned four number one singles, sold 15 million copies worldwide, and won her two Grammys, including Best New Artist. Carrie eventually married Matola, 20 years her senior, whom she began dating during the making of her first record. So in 93, she married him. In the intervening years, she would co-write and co-produce her second studio album, Emotions, bringing back a guy named Walter Afanasif from her debut, whose name you should remember for the next few minutes. She also recorded an MTV Unplugged appearance and worked with Afanasif on her third record, Music Box, which remains her bestseller, one of the best-selling albums of all time, with worldwide sales of over 28 million copies. Those are ACDC Michael Jackson numbers. People forget what a big deal Mariah well, was in the I 90s, never man. I'm surprised <laughs> that that was the one. Emotions was always the one I liked more than Music Box. I'm surprised that that's the one. Because what, What's the big song on Music Box? I don't know. I didn't listen to any of this stuff. Oh, really? Oh. I was listening to jazz. <laughs> And not having sex. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this Afanasif guy, he is a big deal. He co-produced and co-wrote many of Mariah's hits, including One Sweet Day, which I think had the title of the longest-running number one single until very recently, uh, and also Hero. Oh, that was the big hit off Music Box, was Hero. Oh, and Hero. your cover yeah, of yeah. Nielsen, your beloved Harry Nilsson. Without you? Uh, okay. Yeah. All right, fine. <laughs> I, still, I still like emotions better, but it's whatever. Uh, he also won a 1999 Grammy Award for co-producing Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. We should point out that we have not been planting Titanic references in these shows leading up to the Titanic episodes that we're yes, going to do. Yes, I mean, I, I, I will become the James Cameron of podcasting <laughs> for this Titanic episode. It is, It, it may be a three-parter. <laughs> I'm still in the midst of writing it. Speaking of other megalomaniacal men chaining uh, creatives against their will in a gilded <laughs> palace of their own making, Tommy Matola would write in his own memoir that neither his therapist nor several of his friends would approve of him marrying he, 20 years his junior, Carrie. But hey, that's NASCAR, baby. <laughs> that did not bode well for the marriage. Carrie says that she married Matola not really for love, but for protection from her own family. Uh, which I guess meant people trying to capitalize on her career. But um, he took the Rapunzel route, installing her in a multi-million dollar mansion in upstate Bedford, New York, filled with guards, cameras, and intercoms. And she also writes in her memoir a lot how Tommy Mottola was uncomfortable with her biracial identity and constantly worked to frame her as a white adult contemporary artist rather than R&B one, an R&B artist. That's why she ultimately left Sony, right? Was that she was trying to collaborate with like Puff Daddy and ODB and, and Tommy Motts was like, I'm racist. <laughs> Go uh, back to singing the Badfinger song. <laughs> and get back in your room. I mean, I'm sure there were many reasons, but I bet that was a big one, certainly, yes. Uh, Mariah began referring to the house they shared as Sing Sing, as in the famous prison in Austin, New York, which I imagine was just down the street from Bedford. She was constantly watched and never allowed to leave on her own. And she's recounted being in the home studio there recording with rapper The Brat and having to scheme up how they would sneak out of the house in one of the cars that Mariah owned to make a run to Burger King for fries. Ugh. Uh, she said, I longed for someone to come kidnap me back then. This is according to the New York Post. I used to fantasize about that a lot. And according to the paper, she also used the phrase, a private hell to describe their marriage. This is all very reminiscent of another Christmas queen, Ronnie Spector, and her relationship with Phil Spector. So this is all the background that went into one of the greatest Christmas songs of all time. But, Zoolander voice... Why male models? Why Christmas? <laughs> in a 2014 Billboard interview, Afanasif, Walter Afanasif says, 20 years ago, Christmas music and Christmas albums by artists weren't the big deal that they are today. Back then, you didn't have a lot of artists with Christmas albums. It wasn't a known science at all back then, and there was nobody who did new big Christmas songs. Carrie said at the time, I'm a very festive person, and I love the holidays. I've sung Christmas songs since I was a little girl. I used to go Christmas caroling. 
to Good Morning America in 2015. She said, I just wrote the song out of love for Christmas and really loving Christmas music. And then in 2021, she told Hot 97's Nessa Diab, I wrote it from a place of what would my little girl self write for this song? Which is possibly getting at the closest to what that song is actually represents for her, which is like yeah. the childhood idealization of Christmas. But she was probably just, at least in the press, it seems like she was just kind of towing the party line in the time. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Tommy Motts didn't like her leaning into the R&B direction. And Christmas was his favorite holiday, he wrote in his memoir. So he wanted Carrie's next record to be a Christmas record. There's a commonly repeated anecdote about when he pitched her this idea. She said, what are you trying to do? Turn me into Connie Francis? And then because he's a huge jerk, he wrote in his memoir of that moment that he nearly laughed in her face, adding, how the hell does she even know who Connie Francis is? God. Connie Francis, for anyone who didn't grow up in the 50s like me, uh, <laughs> she was a 50s, early 60s pop singer. Young enough to have been in the rock and roll vanguard. Uh, Wikipedia surprisingly describes her as the queen of rock and roll, which is <laughs> weird. But she was more into the easy listening stuff. And they almost positioned her like the female Dean Martin with all of her Italian songs. Yeah, I remember her being like the like the Ital lady. <laughs> it's like her yeah. and like Louis Prima. Who like, exactly. It's like all yep. the my uncles listen to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, well, the point is, a Christmas album is not what a young artist does. I mean, that's up there with releasing a greatest hits album, you know, as a sign that you're being put out to pasture uh, or to finish your record contract before you renegotiate and just throw out a bunch of Christmas covers and call it an album. New Christmas songs were seen as something of a risk because, you know, people want the hits. They want the old standards that are imbued with all sorts of memories, both cultural and personal. They don't want new Christmas songs. In an interview with W Magazine just last month, Mariah said, The idea of me doing a Christmas album at all came from the record company. It was very early in my career, and I thought it was a little early for me to be doing that. But I was just like, well, I love Christmas. I had some very sad Christmases as a child, but I always try to find the bright light there. So with her marching orders in place, Afanasif and Carrie started working on a Christmas record. We started working on the Christmas album in 1993, Walter told Billboard in 2014. This is about three years after we first started working together. There are always three different areas that Christmas music goes into, he continued. This is a fascinating breakdown. I love this. There are traditional Christmas songs, fun kitty songs like Rudolph or Frosty, and then you have your love songs like Chestnuts Roasting and Open Fire, I'll Be Home for Christmas, all of those kind of songs. So he decided to write one of each. The first two songs they wrote were Miss You Most at Christmas Time, which is a semi-ballad, and then Jesus Born on This Day. Mariah Carey had a great aunt uh, who's confusingly was called Nana Reese on her dad's side of the family, and this woman was a minister at a Baptist church in Harlem, and Carey wrote in her memoir that some of her earliest experiences tied to religion were connected to going to these church services, and she's talked about loving gospel artists like Shirley Caesar and Edwin Hawkins, and half the songs on that Christmas album are religious, which is another thing that I think people tend to write out about its history. Anyway, after knocking out those two, Afanasif and Carey started to write what Mariah wanted to do and what Tommy wanted to do, his words, which was a Phil Spector old rock and roll 60s sounding Christmas song. Jordan, you got to tell us about the Phil Spector Christmas record, which you have mentioned as one of your faves. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. And it's Phil Spector adding his wall of sound trademark style to almost completely Christmas standards. Uh, Christmas Baby, Please Come Home is original, done by Darlene Love. Amazing. You got the Ronettes. Isn't I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus on there? Yeah, I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. You can really hear how Michael Jackson kind of got a lot. I mean, I know James Brown was always cited as an inspiration for Michael Jackson, but uh, you can see Ronnie Spector. I didn't know this until I interviewed um, Lucinda Williams. She actually cued me in on it, but like she was talking about she did this Christmas covers record. She did, or she did I'll Be Home for Christmas. And she, because she's amazing, had gone through and found like the old original verse to that song that was like cut for being too depressing. And that's the one that she included. Um, but she was telling me that like all of these R&B and blues and early funk artists all put out Christmas records. Like James Brown has one called Santa, Please Come to the Ghetto. There's like a, a Lightning Hopkins Christmas record, which is, is just Otis Redding and Carla Thomas one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just so funny to me that like, we, you know, there's this whole, you know, if you grew up white, you listen to like Bing Crosby and shit. 
but there's this whole rich tradition of black popular Christmas music that's out there. So interesting. I mean, yeah, this album is great. And it's uh, the original press. It, it was released uh, on the day that JFK was assassinated, if I recall. Oh! So it uh, didn't sell that well. It was kind of a failure, uh, which is, which I mean, you know what? Phil Spector deserves it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, why, are we, why are we being sympathetic towards another actual music industry monster? Yes, but uh, copies of the original 1963 pressing are selling for hundreds of dollars. Do sure. you have one? I, you know what? I don't. Um, mm. Cher was present at these sessions with Sonny Bono, and they sang backing vocals on it. Um, <laughs> my favorite, I, I was lucky enough to interview Ronnie Spector a few times, and she told me how uh, Cher would say to Ronnie, you know, Phil, uh, I mean, Cher kind of gleaned pretty quickly that Phil was not a great guy and wasn't really treating Ronnie all that well and was already in this early stage of their relationship being extremely possessive. And Cher said, well, you know, why Why are you with Phil? He's not, he's not really a great-looking guy. And Ronnie got all defensive and went, oh, Sonny's no prize, sweetie. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, Brian Wilson was also uh, present at sessions for the Phil Spector Christmas album, at least. Uh, he's called it his favorite album of all time, and he tried to play piano on it, but was shot down because the official reason is that Phil thought his piano playing wasn't very good. But Brian Wilson worshipped Phil Spector, and the Beach Boys were starting to eclipse Phil's dominance on the charts. So I think he was putting his young, you know upstart in his place mm. also the beach boys christmas album has some tremendous songs on it, it came out in 64 mm. really they do a beautiful version of blue christmas mm. uh we three kings i think they do an acapella version of old lang syne yeah it's a beautiful album as you meditate on that we'll be right back with more too much information after these messages Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Anyway, uh, Carrie and Afanasif tell slightly differing versions of how they wrote this song. I started playing some rock and roll piano and started boogie-woogieing in my left hand. Jordan, you want to give us a little boogie-woogie? I actually can't really do boogie. That's a tricky... I only know, like, Lady Madonna. Like, Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that kind of thing. Heavy left hand walking bass style. Yeah, which, I'm, which is, is beyond my skill set. <laughs> R.I.P. Jerry Lee Lewis, another actual monster. <laughs> another person uh, I interviewed. Yeah. He used to start interviews by putting guns on the table. Uh, <laughs> didn't do that with me, though. <laughs> Thank God. That sort of piano pattern inspired Mariah to come up with the melodic 
I don't want to laugh on Christmas. And then they started singing and playing around with this rock and roll boogie song. And he says that immediately came out to be the nucleus of what would end up being all I want for Christmas is you. But Mariah Carey has basically started writing Afanasif out of the genesis of this song, which I think is unchill of her. Starting in 2017, I guess, she told Billboard, I am proud of this song that I basically wrote as a kid on my little Casio keyboard. To Cosmo in 2019, she said, I just sat down, decorated a little tree, and put on It's a Wonderful Life and tried to get into that mood. And I sat down in this small room with a keyboard and started doing little melodies and stuff. In the Amazon Music documentary, Mariah Carey is Christmas, the story of all I want for Christmas is you. She said, actually, I put on It's a Wonderful Life downstairs, and you could hear it throughout the house, and I went into the small room, and there was a little keyboard in there, and I started playing. In that same chunk, though, she mentions Walter A. as someone she took the song to after she'd composed it to co-produce. This documentary's hilarious. She does this whole interview reclining on a chaise lounge. Which is when I saw her do her truncated Christmas concert at Beacon Theater a few years ago. I feel like she was delivered on stage by shirtless, greased up men in a reclining position, if I recall. Yes. Uh, They really doubled down on her being into Christmas in that documentary. The first 90 seconds are all these industry people like Randy Jackson talking about how into Christmas she is. It's like, you don't need, we we believe you. Yeah. I don't know, man. Far be it for me to to say she's not actually into Christmas but like the very industry cynical part of me was like this is like a thing that happens every year that you don't actually have to make any new music you don't have to like go out on a limb anymore you can just wait for this song to tick back up and make you 12 million dollars a year or whatever it actually earns her and then write a children's book about like she just keeps flogging it and anyway I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's tough to say. I don't know if it's it, it's may have started as a cash grab image adjustment thing for Tommy Matola, but she really embraced it. So yeah. either she's justifiably extremely proud of it or maybe it's Stockholm syndrome. But also, I mean, I don't know. You find people that have tragic upbringings. They tend to be really into Christmas. Like, sure. you know, it, it, yeah, yeah, it's a well, chance I mean, for them to rewrite their childhood. I guess like I'm not trying to take anything away from her. It just bothers me that she's like trying to cut this dude out of the narrative of it right because like right, right, right and that's what he mentions i mean he talks about like if you ask her who wrote hero or with her or who wrote all of these other songs she says walter afanasif but for some reason this song is the one that she is now like just to w magazine last month she was she just said i was up late walking around this house where i was living with my first ex-husband and i had a keyboard and i'm by no means a piano player but i can pluck out chords when i need to and just doesn't mention him she just is, has cut him out of the narrative of this song. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, Sorry. again, maybe it's something that is so personal to her about correcting terrible Past things trauma. that went on yeah. in her childhood. That And, you know, maybe it started from her, too. Maybe she was sitting around late at night and started writing this and brought in a half-finished song sure. to Walter. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff happened with Lennon and McCartney all the time, too. Yeah. So, I don't know. It could be a combination of both. Uh, we're going with Afana Seep's version. He was at the piano and Carrie was singing. Uh, He told Business Insider in 2013 that my first reaction was, that sounds like somebody doing voice scales. (laughs) Are you sure that's what you want? Wait. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically a C scale. This is like when Phil Spector held the Ramones at gunpoint while he played his old songs to them (laughs) over and over again for hours. Uh, John Lennon, too. He did that thing where he shot the ceiling of the studio, and John said, all right, Phil, if you're going to kill me, kill me, but don't mess with my ears. I need him. Yeah. And still, people leapt to his defense. They were like, he couldn't have possibly shot that person. Oh, I don't think anyone leapt to his defense. Mm. Uh, Yeah. And that, yeah, so it's a C major scale, essentially. (laughs) It's surprising to me that Afanasif didn't think this was a good idea because I distinctly remember taking AP music theory classes and comp classes in high school. And they said that the best or catchiest, everyone defined best, which I guess in this case is catchiest melodies, don't have a lot of jumps, but the notes are very near to one another. And they just kind of like over the rainbow is that big jump. Octave jump. Aside from that octave jump, the notes are very close together. 
Yeah, that's why they say the Star Spangled Banner is the or the national the national anthem is one of the shittiest songs yeah, to try and have all of these amateur yeah. singers do it because it's got a big it's, jumps in it. But Carrie persisted and they kept at it. And Afana C told Business Insider she would sing a melody and I would do a chord change. It was almost like a game of ping pong back and forth until we had it. And Afana C added to Billboard, that one went very quickly. It was an easier song to write than some of the other ones. It was very formulaic because not a lot of chord changes. Yeah, it's like an old, it's almost like a ice cream shop mm-hmm. chord changes or boogie woogie chord changes. That part of it took maybe an hour and then I went home. And you've also read 15 minutes possibly to write. Which- yeah. Yeah. Seems plausible. Afana Seif minced fewer words talking to ASCAP in 2014. He said, at the time, I thought it was overly simple and I didn't like it because music people know, you know, as we said, it's like, it's like a practice interview. Mm-hmm. I probably should have studied this before. <laughs> I'm impressed you're just winging it. So he told Billboard, I tried to make it a little more unique, putting in some special chords that you don't really hear a lot of, which made it unique and special. And the backing vocals, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, competing with the lead vocal line uh, makes it a lot more interesting, too. Well, I mean, that's the way modern songwriting credits work is it's it's lyrics and vocals and then everything else. And yeah, you know, he yeah. programmed everything on the song himself. We'll talk about that in a second. But there's a mildly viral theoretical analysis of this song at Slate by a guy named Adam Ragusi. He places this song in the lineage of the great American songbook writing. Uh, he said, I count at least 13 distinct chords at work in All I Want for Christmas is You, including what he called the most Christmassy chord of all, a minor subdominant, yep, or a four chord in the major key with an added six. So is that this? Yes. So what it does is the classic Beatles move, which is you have it in its home key, the chord goes major four and then minor four back to one. Yeah, so four minor chord with a six on it. Let me put that chord in context of the song. Yeah. So it's, uh... There it is. Chord. And you will recognize that from every Beatles song ever. <laughs> yes. We love the plagal minor cadence, the amen cadence. The four to one is the plagal minor oh, plagal yeah. minor so plagal. Can you do it? Mm. Yeah, and that's the Beatles thing. I mean, Paul has called that one of his favorite chord progressions. Um, yep, let's, let's let it be. Anyway, Afana Seif continued to Billboard for the next week or two. Mariah would call me and say, "Well, what do you think about this bit?" We would talk a little bit until she got the lyrics all nicely coordinated and done. And then we just waited until the sessions began, which were in the summer of 94 when we got together in New York and started recording. And that's when we first hear her at the microphone singing, and the rest is history. Afanasif told Variety in 2019 that they first attempted the song with a live band. He said at the time of the recording of the Christmas album, we assembled a group of mighty musicians like Dan Huff and Greg Fillingenanes, and I think there might have been Nathan East, who is uh, famously one of Stevie Wonder's bassists on bass, and Omar Hakim, who's a legendary New York City like session drummer ninja guy. And he said most of the songs in the album were old school, very Ronnie Spector, Phil Spector, gospel-like. So there was a lot of live musician application to this. We did other songs during the sessions with the band, but there was never a version of All I Want for Christmas is You with a band. I think we might have tried it, and it just didn't sound as good. So he programmed this whole thing on his computer. Everything on there is canned. That's nuts to me. I always assumed it was a whole wall of sound style production with a bunch of instruments in the studio. But yeah, it looks like the only other person playing on the track listing is Dan Huff on guitar and backing vocalists. Uh, I guess all the horns and stuff are synths too, which I always thought they sounded pretty real. But I mean, the guy must have, for 1994, the guy must have had like, a NASA grade computer to <laughs> yeah, have that stuff that. sounding that good. Like <laughs> the early nineties simulation software synths were not that good. It was all MIDI stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like Casio keyboard style. <laughs> 
Despite the fact they recorded it in August, Afanasif told the New York Post, we had Christmas trees and lights brought into the studio to get us in the mood. There was even talk of bringing in some snow at one point, but we didn't go with that. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) They kept the temperature really cold in the studio, too. (laughs) Terrible for a singer whose half their thing is like dolphin. She she grew up caroling. You know, I guess that's that energy, I guess. But yeah, Mariah's favorite line in the song is, I won't even wish for snow because she says in that Amazon mini documentary, I always wish for snow because I always wanted to be a winter wonderland. The lyrics in that song are actually pretty clever in the way that they can be so multi-purpose. And Walter Afanasief explained, she created a lyric that probably to this day is the only up-tempo Christmas love song. I think people like this positive love song because it's interchangeable. Anybody can sing it to anybody. It's about everybody. And it can only mean one thing, from father to child or mother to child or wife to husband. It's just all I want for Christmas is you. Afanasief's time with Carrie ended messily uh he told variety when you're married to the chairman of the company and you get a divorce he was not married to tommy Mott, So that was of course for mariah carey uh it wasn't a civil parting of the ways and i had an exclusive contract and obligation with sony music i had no alternative i had no way of leaving the company and running off into the sunset with mariah so Ooh, that's, that seems to suggest yeah uh, oh walter You got a wife and children. So being under a legally binding contract, he said, I had to stay. And he continues in that Variety interview talking really with a lot of sadness, it seems, about the oddly specific way in which Carrie has persisted in writing him out of this song and only that song. He said, I own 50% of it. We're equal co-writers, yet I can't call her. She doesn't call me. She continues to deny the existence of a co-writer on this. And he added that he's gotten death threats from Mariah Carey stands on social media whenever he just brings up the fact that he is correctly a co-writer on the song, as literally any small amount of Googling will tell you. Uh, I don't know, man. Well, I have another depressing coda for the song. The music video was directed by Diane Martell, who later directed the Robin Thicke video for Blurred Lines. Oh! Yeah. Uh, Mariah did not have the best time making that video. She told Pop Sugar in 2017, I was actually in the snow. That's not something that was created. It was freezing in that one-piece ensemble, and my hair was frozen, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And uh, probably didn't help matters that Tommy Mottola plays the Santa in the video, which probably made it less fun. Oi, God, that guy... Carrie's Christmas album wasn't even publicized until the middle of October 1994, by which point her duet with Luther Vandross on the cover of the Diana Ross and Lionel Richie hit Endless Love was already stratospheric. The album dropped and the single dropped right before Halloween, uh, which is kind of a, well, I guess that's kind of the standard time to drop Christmas songs. Uh, And all (laughs) She's she's held to it. You were talking about seasonal creep. She starts tweeting about this song on Halloween. Yeah, I mean, that's what, you know, November 1st is kind of department when stores do. happen. Yeah. <laughs> a song did not top the charts, which is shocking to me considering the life it's gone on to have. It peaked at number six on the Billboard Hot Adult Contemporary and number 12 on the Hot 100 Airplay charts in January 1995. Yeah, the album's performance was even stranger, which is a, a testament to Afanasi's assertion that Christmas music was not doing big numbers at the time. It debuted at number 30 on the U.S. Billboard 200, sold 45,000 copies in its first week, which is huge today, but for Mariah Carey in 1994, that was nothing, you know? It became the second best-selling holiday album that year, with a total of 1.8 million copies sold. And we'll get to the best-selling holiday record of 1994 in a second, but the record did become Carey's first number one album in Japan. Friend of the pod, Japan! (laughs) (laughs) never gets old no it doesn't uh it's so huge in japan that sometimes mariah would have to perform it in springtime in summer (laughs) whenever she was there she had to bust out all i want for christmas is you regardless of whether or not it was christmas time we're gonna take a quick break but we'll be right back with more too much information in just a moment 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Jordan. I know you probably, you've read this before, but for dramatic effect, could you in any universe have possibly guessed what the best-selling holiday record of 1994 was? Yes, because it is a big favorite for some very dear people in my life, and I also oh, okay. interviewed him last year about oh, Christmas stuff. Oh, interesting. Well, folks, it is Kenny G's Miracles, the holiday album best-selling holiday record of 1994 and 1996, became the first Christmas album to reach number one on Billboard since Mitch Miller's holiday sing-along with Mitch in January 1962, and the first instrumental album to top the top album chart since Vangelis' Chariots of Fire soundtrack in 1982, and the first Christmas instrumental album ever to top the album chart. What did Kenny say about this when you talked to him? I mean, it's the one that they've silent night cover comes off of right yes i think so yeah with like news broadcast playing in the background it's like a topical oh, no, that's, it's like a, no 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 that's uh simon and garfunkel uh tell me about kenny g the miracle the christmas miracle i mean yeah it's just like a supernatural phenomenon he didn't even want to do it i think clive davis made him do it and he was like, <laughs> clive, clive i'm jewish like i don't really care uh he's like no 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 um he doesn't know i don't know <laughs> Oh my God, Walter Afanasyev did the arrangements on this. That scans. Walter Afanasyev, you Christmas ninja. Wow. And he did My Heart Will Go On. This guy's... He's made some, he's made some change. Uh, Carrie's Merry Christmas record has sold 5.8 million copies in the US. The album that the single came off of. That Kenny G record has sold 8 million. The best-selling Christmas album of all time in the States, by the way, is Elvis's Christmas record. Now, this whole thing gets a little thorny because there's the pre and post sound scan eras, which affects how Billboard tabulates sales. But Carrie's album is after Kenny's in pretty much every one of these charts. Uh, the business of Christmas music is wild. I just want to add the oft-repeated anecdote that Paul McCartney, one of the few billionaire rock people, earns upwards of half a million dollars a year solely on royalties for Wonderful Christmas Time. But, well, enough about the album. The album is dead. Nobody listens to albums anymore. What about All I Want as a single? One of the champions, if not the champion. All I Want, certified diamond in 2021, which is 10 million plus in sales. It is the 12th best-selling physical single of all time with 16 million copies, just under Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On, which surely warms Walter Afanasyev's heart that the other thing he co-produced beat out the single that Mariah is trying to tell people he didn't help write. And it was the first holiday ringtone to be certified double platinum by the RIAA. Remember ringtones? (laughs) Part of that's helped by the fact that the song returns to the charts every year like clockwork. Uh, which is not entirely just up to Carrie tweeting it. Rob Stringer, the chairman of Sony Music Group, told the New York Times in 2019, every year we focus a campaign around new ways to market all I want for Christmas. 
because the opportunities for people to hear this perennial classic just seems to grow and grow because you're making them, dude. That's why they do that. This year, it re-entered the top 100 in the U.S. iTunes chart a few hours after midnight on November 1st. Wow. Truly like clockwork. The song was still not a number one hit, though, until 2019. It finally topped the Billboard Hot 100 on December 21st, 2019, after 35 cumulative weeks on the chart, making it the slowest climb to the top spot in the chart's history. A record surpassed recently by Glass Animals' Heat Waves, uh, which took 59 weeks to get to the top slot. I don't know anything about that song. All I Want also broke the record for the longest chronological trip to the number one position, taking 25 years to do so. Wow, yeah. And it's only the second time in the 60-plus years of Hot 100 history that a Christmas song hit number one on the main chart. And the first to do so since the Chipmunks Christmas song in 1958. This is, and this is, I know these records don't mean anything, but when you hear them all stacked up, they do, they are crazy. And these are my favorite. Carrie's record of having the most number one songs for a solo artist on the Hot 100 is now at 19. I believe she is just under the Beatles. And she has cumulatively, with this song, spent 80 weeks at number one as an artist. And finally, since it was both the last number one single of the 2010s and the first number one single of the 2020s, Carrie became the first artist in history to top the Billboard chart in four separate decades, 1990s, 2000s, 2010s, and the 2020s. And then, Sunrise, Sunset, the song broke yet another record the first week of January of, of 2020 by becoming the first song to completely fall off the Hot 100 from the number one position. Incredible. Truly the entire rich tapestry of human experience encompassed in a Christmas single. Uh, although it was obviously a huge hit, the song was helped by its plot-centric inclusion in 2003's Love Actually. Afana Seif, who told Billboard that Carrie rarely allows her songs to be used in film or TV, says he doesn't know why she relented for that film in particular, saying, I think she just had a fondness for the movie. She liked the script, and she liked the actors. I'm sure that she thought, it's a young girl singing it. It's the right time. Yeah, Richard Curtis, the writer and director of that movie, said that he was obsessed with that song, and he played it over and over when he was working on the script and feeling stuck. I saw some one of those like feel old yet type like clickbaity things recently. That's did uh, you write it? No, I didn't. Not this time. <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't a feel old thing, but it was like a violent math type piece that said that the little boy in that movie is just five years younger than Kira Knightley. Ooh, yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, how do all those chart positions translate in terms of cold hard cash? Well, so glad you asked. A 2016 study by The Economist found that Carrie makes about $2.5 million a year from this song. Suck it, McCartney. <laughs> the song had made $60 million as of 2016, which suggests that since then she's made a further $12.5 million since then, not including 2022, which means this year it could top $75 million, which means half of that as half of the songwriting team that means that song has made $150 million. That's up there with Margaritaville. <sighs> well, I think the jury's still out on how well Carrie's Mariah menu at McDonald's, which unfolded over the last 12 days of Christmas in 2021, did exactly. There's at least room for one other uh, avenue of expansion into the Christmas empire, gustatorially speaking, at least. At some point in the mid-aughts, a farmer named Angus told the UK tabloid The Daily Express that the 2,000 goats on his farm produced 20% more milk while listening to All I Want for Christmas. By contrast, Wizards' I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day, which slaps, slowed down their production, and the Christmas song by the Chipmunks stopped it entirely. Which also scans. Afanasif told the New York Post when confronted by this fact, I think Mariah should endorse a brand of Christmas goat cheese made from the milk of those goats, and I would obviously want half the profits. He may yet get his wish. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mariah parlayed the song's success into her self-appointed position as 
the Queen of Christmas. More on that in a minute. And is in fact currently flogging a children's book that you mentioned earlier, co-written with Michaela Angela Davis called The Christmas Princess, which is a Cinderella-esque children's tale about a girl named Little Mariah. Oh, I wonder how they landed on that. Who loves to sing about Christmas. My favorite album title of all time is Me, I Am Mariah, The Elusive Chanteuse. <laughs> yes. I forgot that it was called that, the Elusive <laughs> Uh Mariah told USA Today that there are rules that she sets during the holiday if you are in her Queen of Christmas queendom. I don't care who it is, the kids, if I have guests, whatever, nobody is allowed to play or watch anything other than a Christmas-related thing. If I wake up in the middle of the night and walk into the living room and the music isn't playing and the lights aren't on, I just can't handle it. <laughs> Do we think she's being funny or... Uh, yes <laughs> charitably i do but are you just gonna ambiently noodle on the piano <laughs> it's like mr rogers <laughs> yeah. as far as legally being determined the queen of christmas carrie just ran into a stumbling block this year her application uh -oh. to trademark the aforementioned phrase along with princess christmas and qoc an acronym for Queen of Christmas, was denied by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office in November after Lotion LLC, her company, applied for it last year. Big silence of the Lambs fan. That's why, <laughs> that's why your fans are called Lambs, right? Ah, gross and weird. <laughs> Jordan, tell us about Elizabeth Chan. Apparently a songwriter named Elizabeth Chan, whose entire deal is literally only recording Christmas music, filed an opposition in August to block this registration of those trademark names. She said, I feel very strongly that no one person should hold on to anything around Christmas or monopolize it in the way that Mariah seeks to in perpetuity. She's talking a variety in August. Mariah Carey's legal team didn't respond to Chan's opposition in time, so the Patent and Trademark Office did not grant her the phrase. In other words, Mariah does not own the phrase, the Queen of Christmas, or QOC, or Princess Christmas. <laughs> yeah, this woman is so fascinating. I love this. Elizabeth Chan loved Christmas music since she was a child. She grew up not especially wealthy in New York. Uh, when she thought about making music as a career, she told Yahoo that she was told Asian artists don't make it in America. There's not a place for you in this business. So she became a relatively highly paid media executive and left that job in her 30s to go all in on Christmas music. She has remained an independent artist, self-releasing 12 albums in 12 years and over 1,200 songs all about Christmas. It's a family business. Her husband, Andy Fraley, designs her album covers, and her eldest daughter, Noelle, collaborates with her, earning Noelle, Noelle the nickname. Of course. Yeah, right. Uh, earning the nickname The Princess of Christmas, which, of course, Mariah also sought to trademark. Chan said that she started getting dubbed the Queen of Christmas in 2014 after her second Billboard hit. She used it as the title for her 2021 album, and it was while doing the legal legwork necessary to release that album that her entertainment attorney flagged Carrie's March 2021 trademark application. For what it's worth, Darlene Love and Brenda Lee have also been called the Queens of Christmas for Christmas Baby Please Come Home and Rocking Around the Christmas Tree, respectively, as you mentioned, as has Ronnie Spector. Uh, Chan is keen to stress that she doesn't want to trademark the nickname for herself. She just doesn't want Mariah Carey to own the phrase the Queen of Christmas and be able to use it for presumably a small country's worth of merchandising purposes. <laughs> but she was told that the retainer to fight just one trademark filing was a quarter million dollars. And Mariah filed four that Chan sought to oppose. So she was looking at a million dollars plus 40 grand in filing fees just to start the process. She told Yahoo, trademark law is not something that's done on contingency. There's no windfall of winnings. It's not like that. You're just fighting for status quo. So she would be a million 40 grand in the hole. To get in the door. to keep things the same <laughs> as it is. So yeah, she had to back down. You can't fight City Hall. You can't fight the woman who uses stilettos on a Stairmaster. <laughs> Uh, she was rejected by dozens of lawyers before an old friend agreed to represent her for free. A pro bono case for the spirit of Christmas. This she is wrote a him a song. Movie. She, she yeah. wrote him a song afterwards. Oh, like she wrote really? the legal team a, a series of songs about it. 
about, about Christmas it or songs. like a jingle? Oh, oh my god! Wow, is <laughs> yeah. it like a Woody Guthrie style? Like, <laughs> I, this is all like a developing case. Like, these are oh, recent okay. interviews that she's been giving. So I don't know if the new one is out yet. But if wow. she, if Elizabeth Chan releases a record that's gone, like, thank you, <laughs> go to hell, uh, uh, <laughs> You know, it's about this one. Well, over the summer, Mariah Carey's team made several attempts to extend the proceedings, but the date for her to file a response to Chan's opposition came and went, which means the request is now permanently abandoned. I, I'm going to trust you on this. I am not a lawyer. Uh, Chan was as surprised as anyone. She said that she'd been planning on a trial with dates going into 2024. So, in other words, Mariah gave up. Yeah. Yeah, or or they just like they missed a filing date, and 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 I guess I, I, again, this is what I'm going. This is what I read. I'm not a lawyer. Um, they, probably wouldn't they, be doing a podcast. You play with, one on a podcast. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. Um, she has this incredible quote though in the Yahoo piece. She says, "At Chan Elizabeth Chan, everyone in this business wants to tell you what's impossible, and then you think that's the doctrine, but it's not. Everyone told me you'll never win this trademark thing. You'll never find another job. Your career is over." Everyone always wants to tell you what's not possible. Sometimes people just don't know. Oh, we love a com- we have, we love an underdog Queen of Christmas story. <laughs> that isn't even the only Mariah Christmas court battle fought this year. A Mississippi songwriter named Andy Stone, who released a song called "All I Want for Christmas Is You" under the moniker Vince Vance and the Valiants in 1989, filed suit against Carrie and Afanasy in June. Seeking damages of no less than twenty million for alleged copyright infringement, based because these songs sound nothing alike, solely on the matching titles. And it's he- like a country song. I know that's it's a good song. I hear it sometimes on the radio. And in fact, I really got to wonder how many times people have accidentally played it on some <laughs> kind of streamer. Siri, play all the I other want one for Christmas is you. Yeah, so maybe they should be thanking Mariah, but. Well, his attorneys voluntarily dismissed the case just in November, which means he could refile it in the future, but it is definitely a long shot. Rolling Stone pointed out recently that there are currently 177 copyrighted songs with the title All I Want for Christmas is You. I would like to punch that song in right now, but considering how litigious they are, maybe <laughs> that's not the move. I don't think it's very good, and the music video for it is horrifying. Well, it's a late 80s country song. What do you expect? Okay, fair. My favorite aftermath of All I Want for Christmas is You is when Bieber recorded a duet with Mariah for his 2021 album, Under the Mistletoe. (laughs) Mariah wanted to do it in the original key, but Bieber's voice started breaking just before they were set to record, and he had to really fight to get those notes. He told Billboard magazine, yeah, that was high, but I grinded it out and we got it down. How would any male sing (laughs) Mariah Uh, Carey's song in its original key? Oh, Jordan, do you have any final thoughts? I love this song. <laughs> I never wanted to stop. You sweet boy. I found a great quote about, aside from its airtight musical construction that sums up its enduring appeal. Andrea Dresdale of ABC News Radio told Vogue in 2015, It's a Christmas song, but it has no religious content. In reality, it's just a love song. Everyone understands longing, desire, love, or just missing somebody. It's an upbeat song. So many Christmas songs are not. Many of them are ballads. Some of them are depressing. But this one sounds like a party. Hmm. The success of the song, Afanasif told Billboard, is kind of a cosmic occurrence that happens once every five billion years. I don't... Is the Earth even that old? Well, whatever. Thousands of original Christmas songs have been written in the last 20 years. It's not like no one writes Christmas songs. Everyone is trying to get a Christmas song. But for whatever reason, All I Want for Christmas is You just became that song. It's kind of something you never would have thought, and you can't really explain why, and we feel lucky. And I think Carrie, as she would want to, should have the last word, and appropriately with it, completely shut down the entire point of this episode, and by extension, our careers. At the end of an interview with the New York Times in 2019, she said of her immortal song, I take myself out of the equation and just enjoy it as a spectator. People want to get so specific, and I'm like, dude, it's just a song. Well, folks, <laughs> as you peer at me over your glasses, <laughs> thank you for listening. This has been uh, Too Much Information. I'm Alex Eigel. And I'm Jordan Runtog. We'll catch you next time. 
Much Information was a production of iHeartRadio. The show's executive producers are Noel Brown and Jordan Runtog. The show's supervising producer is Michael Alder June. The show was researched, written, and hosted by Jordan Runtog and Alex Heigl. With original music by Seth Applebaum and the Ghost Funk Orchestra. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. (sighs) Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Monday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com.